Well, thank you very much for the invite. It's really lovely to be back with you again. Um, so this is the second in your series called Holding Heaven. Um, and it's called The Kingdom Remade. And you're looking at the kingdom of God. Um, and I have to say that you don't hold back in your subjects. Um, I did a lot of background reading and I went off down a lot of rabbit holes um, not many of them were useful, um, but I've been trying desperately to keep on my topic and not tread on the toes of the next few weeks to come, so hopefully we'll get there. Now, for good or ill, I do warn, must warn you that I have been booked for three sessions next year, so if I get an email suddenly saying, oh, thanks, but the dates don't work out, then I'll know that I've gone down the wrong rabbit hole. Um, so I was given some direction on this topic, and what I had was about God's promise. As we await for the future kingdom and a remade cosmos, body, and reality, and about being on our guard against misplaced hope. Um, and now I've always found hope quite a difficult idea. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, 1980s film Clockwise with John Cleese. I don't know that I can necessarily recommend it, but um, he plays the head of a school who is obsessively always on time. Everything in his life runs like clockwork. And he, he's supposed to be chairing a conference and this series of events happens and he misses his train and he loses his speech. Um, and for reasons that I can't remember, he ends up in a monastery um, and he, he's sort of asked a sixth form student to drive him to this conference and their car gets stolen and they run up the road to try and get the car back. And he says, it's not the despair, Laura. I can cope with the despair. It's the hope. Um, and I think I can sort of sympathise with that sort of quote, that I often protect myself against hope because it's easier and safer not to hope. And if you follow any sport of sports team, then you might understand that every time England play in an international tournament, particularly if it's the men, then there's this upswell of hope, which is misplaced hope. Because we collectively hold our breath until the inevitable happens and we fall back again into despair. And I don't know whether you have ever felt the disappointment from an unfulfilled hope, sporting or otherwise. But in Christianity, the faith that I say is so important to me, there is this underlying theme of hope throughout it all. And so what is the link between Christian hope and the kingdom of God? So this kingdom theme, the kingdom of God theme, runs through the entire Bible. And Jesus talked about it a lot. I think it's about a hundred times in the Gospels, the kingdom of God is mentioned. And Jesus talks about the kingdom of God being now, but not fully now. It's now and it's still to come. But the kingdom is where God rules and reigns completely. And it really starts, in, if you didn't know what Genesis looked like, this is apparently what it did look like. Um, it starts in Genesis, when God is with his people, and God and the people are there together in the garden. And this sort of God space and the human space overlap. God is there walking around with people. There's nothing in the way. There's nothing uh, between God and people. They've got this perfect relationship. And then what we call sin comes in the way, this desire to please ourselves that I think we can all relate to. 
For God still loves people. He still desires people to be with him. And sin ruined that relationship. So we're going to flick through a few chapters in our Bible. So we're at the beginning of Genesis. And then as we go through, um, God gives instructions for a special tent um, and the area around it called the tabernacle. And this is where God says his presence will be among his people. Uh, And in in the middle of the tent is the Ark of the Covenant. But that where God dwells in, that, in, in this space, it's surrounded by images of gardens. The whole thing is surrounded by vines. The, um, the lampstand, for example, was made from gold and God tells them to put almond blossoms on it. Everything about this has pictures that go back to that Garden of Eden and where, of Eden, where the space of God and the space of humans overlap completely. And eventually they build the temple, um, and that's also decorated a little bit like a garden. Um, 1 Kings 6 tells us that it was carved with cherubim and palm trees and open flowers. Harking back to this idea of God's space completely overlapping with humans. And then comes Jesus, and this is obviously what Jesus looked like, uh, according to the internet. Um, And that when Jesus comes, the book of John tells us that God came and dwelt and lived among us. And Jesus came talking about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God had arrived. So God's reign and will on earth, this God space and human space completely overlapping. And wherever Jesus went, he took the kingdom of God with him. He was a living, walking, breathing, teaching picture of heaven. And he went where he went, amazing things happened. People were healed of their illnesses. Their hearts were healed. People were fed spiritually and with actual real food. People were accepted. People were welcomed by him. He took that little bit of heaven, the space where God's rule and, and humans overlap. He took that with him where he went. And that is the sort of hope that I would like. I think I could make myself vulnerable for that sort of hope. And we talk in church about the kingdom of God being here and still to come. It's described as this tension between the now and the not yet. The kingdom is here now, but it's also going to come later on. It came with Jesus, but it's not fully here. You can see why I went down so many rabbit holes. But as we look around the world... I'm not sure what on earth is happening. Is the kingdom of God really here? Say a refugee camp in Tanzania, which is full of people who've been fleeing from Burundi because of political unrest and humanitarian crisis. The fires that we've been seeing in America, where so many people are dead and missing and properties have been destroyed. Our planet being destroyed. This is in Borneo, the advert that Iceland has been trying to draw attention to. Uh, trees being cut down for, for palm oil production, our seas being polluted with plastics. In Venezuela, where families are being forced to give up their children, to put them on the street to feed the children that they do have, and giving babies away to give that life a better baby. The market's full of rotten meat to sell because of political upheaval happening in that country. But in our own lives as well, all of us, I think, have been touched by illness or death or poor mental health with grief 
with feelings of dissatisfaction with our lives and thinking it shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't be like this. Life shouldn't be like this. Where is our hope? And life sometimes feels quite desperate. Um, There are two books that I'd like to recommend to you if you are interested in finding out my rabbit holes. Um, The God I Don't Understand by Christopher Wright has three chapters at the end that's all about um, the kingdom of God, which I've drawn on quite heavily for this talk. Don't read it yet. Um, And Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright, which a friend gave me with that quote from the film Clockwise written in the front. It's not about the despair, Laura. I can cope with the despair. It's the hope, um, which is also very good. But we're going to turn to the book of Revelation um, and Revelation chapter 20 to get some sort of glimpse of where our future hope is and should be. So Revelation chapter 20, and I'm going to read from verse 11. Then I saw, then this is John talking, he's had a a vision. um, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And in this picture, often we focus on the judgment um, and fear that kind of judgment picture that these, these passages at the end of the Bible give us. But actually, I think there is some hope in there that every one of us, each of us is in the hands of God. It says there, both great and small, the powerful will be judged. The least of us will be judged whether you felt small and unimportant in this life, whether you feel like your faith has been crushed, whether you feel like you have been persecuted, if you feel like you've lived out your life in the way that God would wanted, but you still don't feel like you've contributed anything, God sees the things that you do for him. And it is God that judges you, not other people here. But when we see the injustice in the world when we see what's going on and we think it shouldn't be like that, God will judge that as well. We have hope that God sees and God will be the judge. And we should think of this as a hopeful event, not one that we need to be scared of because of the injustice that we see, because we see the world is not the way that it should be. We know that there will come a time where God will deal with it. He sees it all and he will judge everyone. So then the next chapter of Revelation tells us we get to the new creation. So this is Revelation chapter 21. Then I, this is John talking again, saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city A new Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And in here, there is hope. This picture of God coming back down to earth with this new city. And the chaos and everything is gone, righting those wrongs. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. All the things that make us cry now. All the pain that we have, all the suffering and grief that is in our hearts will be over. The hurt that we feel, the problems that we have, our bodies breaking down, our minds breaking down, it will be over. And God longs to put everything right. This picture is of God bringing everything back to order and making it fruitful. But it's not a heaven that is up there that we go up to. This is about God making new things here on earth. God's kingdom fully come, but here on earth. It's God's ruling and it started when, when, way back in the Garden of Eden. But then when Jesus came and he talked about God dwelling with people. And here it is again, God dwelling with his people. Not Christians being taken away from this earth, but making us the agents of transformation, as N.T. Wright calls it, of the earth. The dwelling place, it says in verse 3. The dwelling place of God is with man. The same word was used for that tabernacle where God was living among his people and in the temple and in Jesus. And here it is again. This theme is like an arrow piercing all the way through our Bible. So what else is this hope going to be like? What have we got? Well, the Bible picks up on the image of the garden and just changes it very slightly. So the next chapter of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. They will reign forever and ever. So according to the book of Revelation, actually the future is Letchworth um, or Welling or maybe Milton Keynes because these were garden cities and they were part of a, a, a movement at the end of the 19th and the early 20th century as planned communities that were self-contained and surrounded by Greenbelt. But actually the Bible says that we are going to live in a garden city. So if you want to see what heaven will be like, then just pop over to, to Letchworth. <laughs> There are loads of parallels about the description of the garden at the beginning of the Bible where God lived with his people. And the space of God and the space of people overlapped. And this description of the heavenly city in Revelation, I'm not going to go into them all now because that is definitely a rabbit hole. Um, But you can go and look at them up and, and read more for yourselves. But cities are built by people. Gardens grow 
sometimes too much. But God takes this idea of a city and he makes it into something that is special and his own. And God brings together the garden that was there in Eden and the city. And he makes God space and human space overlap completely again. And God ruling and that is the kingdom of God. He's restoring what he wanted humans to become in these pictures in Revelation. And this shows us that God's love is stronger than death. And here is hope. And here there will be justice. And here there will be an end to our sufferings. An end to war. An end to infighting. Even an end to the Brexit negotiations. Here it says there will be healing of the nations. And don't we need that right now? Here it says there'll be no more crying after God has wiped away that last tear. Here then is hope. Here is God's kingdom come and reigning fully. And wherever you are now, whatever you are dealing with, however you have been hurt, whoever you are mourning over, whether they've died or are just not in your life at the moment, there will be an end to all of that. There is hope to come. And the church that I grew up in had quite a strong emphasis on heaven and hell and the idea that, you know, we were getting out of here. And I remember a conversation with my cousin who thought there was no point in recycling because God was just going to get rid of the world and we would all go to heaven. And I'm not sure that this is really the best and most helpful attitude for us to have. And I think I said last time I was here that I work in a museum. My background is in archaeology and um, Christianity has got a lot to answer for in terms of burial practices because it changed everything. And this is one of my favourite archaeological sites. There's always a reason to put archaeology in there somewhere. This is West Kennet Longbarrow in Wiltshire and I highly recommend that you go. um, It's a Neolithic tomb and it was built about 5,500 years ago and it was used for about 1,000 years and they buried people in here. Um, and it was excavated by various people who did it very badly, but they made a little plan of this tomb, and there's about, there's over 46 people buried in there, and they'd kind of sorted them out a little bit, and there was quite a lot of skulls in one bit, and they were were going in and, you know, bringing out things, and this is the bone of great uncle Charlie, Um, but there were loads of people all buried together. And then what happened, um, this is an Anglo-Saxon tomb from the Prittlewell Prince just down the road, um, and he is buried on his own, just him. This is what happens when Christianity comes to this country. We move from amazing tombs like this to, um, I mean, it was quite impressive, but it's Anglo-Saxon, so it's not my favourite. But it becomes all about the individual in the burials. And I think sometimes we become like that ourselves, that we think, I'm okay, if I'm a Christian, then that is fine. Then I'm going to get to heaven, and so that's good. It's about me getting to heaven, and I'll be fine, so it's all about me. But I think there is a mistake in this, and this is where I'm treading slightly on the toes of talks to come. But Victor Jack did it last week, so I feel like it's okay. Um, Because future hope is important. The idea that we might be saved is important. But I think our future hope needs to be reflected in our present now. 
So it's about bringing God's kingdom now, bringing heaven as Jesus did, going around, taking heaven with him. That is what we're supposed to be doing. And sometimes we can exclude ourselves from doing things now because, I don't know, whether we think we're not clever enough or we don't know enough about the Bible or we don't pray enough or because we don't want to get things wrong or we don't need to do it because it's all right, we're going to go to heaven. And that's not what the Bible says at all. There'll be a new earth and if we're Christians then we'll be in it but we're supposed to be doing what Jesus was doing taking that little bit of heaven taking the kingdom with us as we go around when we go around people should see God the kingdom of God God's reign in us we are supposed to be taking the kingdom with us and Timothy Keller wrote something about the lines of don't go to a city to build a great city but to build a great church but go to a city to build a great city and bringing the kingdom of God to this world is not just about building a great church and it's not just about building things up for our own lives making sure that we're saved and that those things will come when we go to heaven but the kingdom of God is about building a great cornard That is our future hope. Building a great earth now is part of our future hope. Taking heaven with us where we go. Hope that it's not just for us, but for the world around us. And N.T. Wright talks a lot about this in this book. That we are saved now, but it is not just about us. But what God will, and what God will do through us, but because of what we should and will be doing in the world. And because of that, everyone will get a glimpse of what God will do. And eventually, those things that we do now will also be there in heaven. This is what he says, that we're to build for the kingdom now. What we do in the Lord is not in vain. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to fall over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something which will become, in due course, part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude and kindness Every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation. Every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk. Every act of nurture and care, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed which spreads the gospel, builds up the church embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, all of this will find its way into the new creation which God will one day make. God's recreation of his wonderful world means that what we do in Christ and by his spirit in the present is not wasted. It will last all the way into God's new world. In fact, it will be enhanced there. He then says he doesn't know how it's going to happen, but, you know, it's a good quote. We are saved, but it's not just about us. We are building that hope for the world now. And our faith and our hope is about all of us. It's about the future, but it is very much about the now. 
It's about what God is doing in and through us, but what God does in us, which will be enhanced in the world to come. And the Bible doesn't answer a lot of our questions about what this world will be like, about what heaven will be like, about what when the kingdom of God fully comes it will be like. But there's one final hope I want to leave you with. And I, it, it says in, in Philippians that when our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And we don't really know what our bodies are going to look like when we get to heaven. What age will we be? Uh, What about people who die very young? What are we going to look like? But a few years ago, I was looking at those verses after Jesus has come back from the dead. And God raises him and he appears to the disciples. And sometimes they don't recognize him. He had a real body, a body that could eat and drink, that could walk around. And sometimes when they don't recognize him, there's one key that Jesus shows them. That lets them know who he is. And that is his scars. He shows them his hands, his feet, his side, where he had been put on that cross. And sometimes when we think about heavenly bodies, we think that they will be perfect and flawless. Maybe we don't think about real bodies at all, but kind of drifting ghostly presences. After resurrection, Jesus has a real body. But it's a real body that still bears the scars of things that happened to him before. And to me, that is exciting and hopeful news. Our hope is not just for the future. Our hope is that God can use us to bring his kingdom now, whatever state we are in, whoever we think we are, whatever scars we bear now from illness, from grief, from poor mental health, those are not barriers for God to use us to enhance his kingdom. They didn't stop Jesus. He came back with his scars. It won't stop us. And we do have a future hope. There will be a day where God will wipe every tear from our eyes. And we'll be back in that city garden where God's presence and human presence completely overlap. That's how we're supposed to be. We need to start practicing it now, practicing getting to know God's kingdom and taking that with us where we go. Where do you see injustice in the world that makes you weep? Where do you see problems that shouldn't be part of God's kingdom? Where are the things that make you glad that you will be in heaven? What are you going to do about them? What difference can you make now? How are you going to go about bringing God's kingdom now while you're still alive? Um, If you have children and you want them to get a good life, um, I think I understand there are several things that you need to do. Um, I think feeding them was one of them. But, you know, we in this country, we have vaccinations. Um, We have free schooling. Um, Children have a lot of interests and hobbies. Might be archaeology. If your children like sport, then you stand on the sidelines. You take them to training. These are investments that you put in children's lives now, which are partly for the future, but are also for their lives now. You don't just leave them alone and not feed them or don't talk to them. We have systems that come into place if you do do that. Because we don't do these things thinking, we're doing this so that they can have a really good future. You do it so they can have a good life now as well. 
And it's the same with our faith. We invest in our faith now for a future that starts now. It is about investing for the future, but it's about bringing God's kingdom now. And what can you do to bring that hope today? I was struck recently by the words of the Lord's Prayer where it says, Give us today our daily bread. It's not about me, it's about us. If I have enough, I should share it with you. And it's the same with our faith. The things that we have enough of, we should share with other people. And we start here in the church as a community. And then we take that out into the world to take the kingdom of God with us. What can you do to bring that hope now? It might be investing in children, teaching, helping with a youth group, helping with church groups. You might become a mental health first aider. You might volunteer with the Samaritans. You might stand up for well-being in your workplace. You might give money or time or support to a charity. You might have a cup of tea with someone that's lonely. You might use your gifts to create something that shows the goodness of God. You might do a painting or a sewing project or even write a letter, an email or a text message to show someone else that they matter. We need to work together as a church to make great cornard. And that will make the kingdom great. So that is our future hope. And that is our future hope that starts in us today.